Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mangum Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I'm joined by Spencer. Spencer, say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. Spencer, we are wrapping up season one of Succession. It has been a hell of a ride. This is a hell of a ride of an episode. How are you feeling? Uh, you know, I would not have watched this show unless you directly recommended we do it. And I'm so glad you did, because this has been an incredible first season of a show. I had no way to expect what I was gonna getting into going in. And even now that I'm watching it, I don't expect where they're going to go each episode. It's an exciting ride. It is a wild show. Um, there are multiple moments in the writing, a lot of which we've covered, closed loop system, where you just like, you're like, okay, th- these writers are going to take me weird places. And this episode surely delivers on that. Yeah. I mean, I had various theories that kind of some of them met, were met maybe a little bit, but I had no concept of how they would play them out, nor that they would go that far to do it. Yeah, it's, it's wild. So this episode is episode 10. It's the finale of season one. It's titled Nobody is Ever Missing, which will, it's a pretty on the nose title. Most of the <laughs> titles are pretty on the nose. Um, mm. Anything you want to plug from Mangum Reads before we jump into this? Uh, well, it's one of those things of where I really need to at some point actually listen to our content to find out exactly the rate that BJ is releasing them on. But I can say what we just recorded, and that may prove relevant six months down the line. We'll see. Yeah, far uh, away. But but in terms of my concept of where we are, we just finished off the first book of Harry Potter, which was a delightful ride for me, having no prior background to the material. I had a lot of fun with it. I appreciated what it did, and I now fully understand why it has the same popularity that it does. I appreciate that they finally came to me for that moment. Otherwise, um, finishing off pottering around, we're going to start the second book here probably in either the next couple of weeks or the beginning of the new year. Until then, we're also going through a collection of short stories, recently by Ken Liu, the um, award-winning writer. Uh, we just finished off um, two different of his short stories that we had two different very polar reactions to, but we had a lot of fun talking about them, and we hope people will enjoy listening to them. And I think they do. The numbers bear that out. And you can always listen to Whiskey on the Weekends. We drink whiskey. Usually it's in the morning. And we make fun of each other. It's a blast. You know, I gotta ask, why do we set these up to be in the morning drinking? Because nothing good happens for the rest of the day as a result of us timing these podcasts like that. Honestly, I think it's because BJ is such an old man that he gets up at like 4.30 in the morning, and for him, it's like a midday recording. BJ is the kind of person of where I'm fully picturing him actually pouring the whiskey into his cornflakes to start his day. Well, he's, he's, he's routinely tasted it and then dropped it in coffee. Uh, yeah, we'll watch him do that live. <laughs> okay. All right. That's enough of the plugs, enough of the housekeeping. Let's jump into this episode. We start with a recap. We go to our segments, which are Spencer's relationship advice of the episode. That's going to be a weird one for this one. Can be tough. Can be tough. Um, probably we'll some relevance, though. Um, mm-hmm. And then we go to Roman line of the episode, and then we award Ro- uh, Roy of the episode. That's the member of House Roy who had the best episode. We have a plan. All right. Jump into the recap, it starts immediately after the wedding. So this is that moment, um, Spencer, you've never been married, but you've been to a lot of weddings. I think you know this, where the the, uh, the actual thing happens, right? The whole mm-hmm. wedding. And then everybody gets shuttled into some sort of weird room, like a pre-reception room. Right. And then the wedding party goes off to take pictures. Mm-hmm. It, there's that awkward downtime that happens where the ceremony's done, the reception is coming, but now no one really knows what this, what is happening or when it's going to happen. And I have to tell you, it's pet peeve of mine. I hate that they, the, the delay caused by the post-wedding pictures. Like, yeah. just let's do the pictures before. Like, even in my own wedding, I was like, can we get this done? I know they're just sitting in there, sipping on champagne, wondering when the fuck we're going to be done taking pictures out here. Mm-hmm. It, it's it, just it, miserable for everybody. 
it's always the same conversation that we all have too, where everyone asks, well, what are we waiting for? Where are the Brandon Grimm? Everyone has to explain, oh, they're taking pictures. I've had that exact conversation nine times. Yeah, and like sometimes it's like really obnoxious. In our wedding, I, I tried to move it along, but like I've been to some where the pictures took like three hours. Oh, yeah. Your, yours was not bad at all. There was very little transition for yours, but there are some of like, did they climb a mountain to take the pictures in scenic style? Where did they go? Well, honestly, some people are that pretentious where they're like, they're like, let's go out in the woods or let's even worse. Let's take a car from the wedding site to somewhere oh, God, else yeah. where we're going to take the pictures and then come back. Yeah. I've been to one of those of where they left the venue site to go get the pictures done and just left everybody in the lurch for an undetermined period of time. So ridiculous. And our guy kept trying to like prolong it. He's like, no, 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 you're you're, going to have these the rest of your life. Let's take the time. And I'm like, no, I'm going to have the memories of hanging out with my friends. Mm -hmm. Get the fuck inside. But anyway, this one doesn't look like it's particularly bad because it looks like they're doing it pretty close to where they had the wedding. Yeah, helped by the fact that I'm sure Shiv just would not want to put in the effort necessary to do that massive series of picture events. Yeah, she seems like she's struggling to even get through this. Mm -hmm. um, during the course of taking the pictures, Roman does just about everything he can to screw them up. Then we cut to Stewie talking to Kendall, and he's talking right. shit about Logan. Well, one, one additional thing is that uh, yeah. they get into a certain confronting of uh, Connor and Wyla in the picture moment. Oh yeah, that comes up. Uh, but before that, Stewie is talking to Kendall, and they're kind of watching the pictures being taken. Yeah. And... Stewie keeps trying to talk shit about Logan. And his point is, you have to demonize the enemy before you kill them. <laughs> yeah, he's cutting right to the jugular here. He really just wants to get, a, get Kendall the mindset that we are going to kill your dad. And you need to be emotionally ready for that. I think it's a good move. Um, yeah. Although Kendall really wasn't having it. Then we have the moment you reference. Connor comes up to Tom and Shiv and says he'd like Wyla to be a part of the pictures. Tom questions him. And Connor says, oh, it's fine, it's fine. Tom goes, yeah, but is it? He goes, no, it's fine, it's fine. Finally, Shib addresses the elephant in the room and tells Connor that Wyla's a call girl. And she clearly doesn't want her in her wedding pictures. And Connor says, okay, I get it. But if you don't allow it, I'm going to punch Tom in the face. I'm going to rip my shirt open. I'm going to take a fucking dump on the ground. I'm going to go ape shit because she's the woman I love. All right, so Spencer, you're Shib in this situation. What do you do? Uh, pretty much exactly what she did. It's just that, okay, if I'm trying to avoid a scene, I have now been given the two options and I'm going to go with option A. All right, thank you. You framed this well for me. Could you pitch one with, one without? Uh, uh, at this point, Connor's drawn such a line in the sand, I don't think he's going to allow any degree of accommodation. That if he feels like in any way you are viewing my relationship as different than yours, I'm going to make a scene. Yeah, I don't know. I maybe make him make a scene. That, that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, Wyla is not really his girlfriend. <laughs> Everybody knows this except for Connor. Yeah, and but Connor is now... Oh, Connor seems, based on this reaction, is aware that everyone else knows and feels that, and so feels the need to overreact in response to it to try to stifle it. Right. All right. Also of note, Rava is included in the pictures, which I thought was very weird. Yeah. And that, that Rava, was really Kendall's ex-wife. Yeah. That, that was really weird to me. It's just like, she is the ex-wife, and clear, does everyone here just not really get what the nature of their relationship is? Uh, I mean, I suppose that Kendall has maybe given everybody some false hopes about where they are or what, whatever else. But in this moment, based on how they've interacted previously, they could not be more wrong about where they are at. Yeah, it's like she comes to Thanksgiving. And remember they had that moment with uh, with Rome, Roman and Kendall where Roman made a joke like, well, you're not even fucking your wife or something like that. Yeah. Like, so I guess maybe they still think that those two are together. I don't know. Because, it, I mean, if she was truly an ex-wife, she wouldn't come to Thanksgiving. Yeah. But, well, the kids might. It's still family to a certain degree. And so well, oh, absolutely, the kids. She would drop them off, but she wouldn't stay and eat. 
Yeah, but at the same time, she's not going to leave her kids alone home with Lo- uh, alone with Logan. Well, not after the cranberry assault incident. No, no, that that just doubled down on her prior views, I'm sure. But yeah, <laughs> how, her role that she plays in the family is weird to me. It seems like no one's quite certain of where she, of where she's at and what role she's going to play going forward, and so they just make an effort to include her in everything when she probably shouldn't be. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, that's over. Cut to opening credits. After the opening credits, we go to Roman and Stewie, and they have the letter. Um, Kendall looks over the letter, says, cool. We asked Stewie's assistant to print three of the letters. Stewie then asks, who should deliver the letter? <laughs> God, Stewie is hilarious. He really doesn't do favors. He's not a favor guy. No, no, no. It, but I appreciate that he's not... He's pretty open from the get-go about where what he's going to do and what he's not going to do. Stewie does not lie to you. Stewie just tells you straight up where he's at. Yeah. Uh, they both assume the other would do it. Finally, Kendall says, I don't know if you... I don't know. If we were planning to fuck your dad to death, I might offer to actually do the fucking. Um, <laughs> then Stewie, great line of questioning here, asks Kendall if he's scared. Well, that, of course, triggers some pride. And Kendall says, he's not scared. And Stewie says, well, I am. <laughs> and then his point is like, and if I'm scared and you're pretending to be not scared, <laughs> maybe it should be you. <laughs> Stewie's smart. Stewie is really understanding the psychology of Kindle pretty well right now, because that is very effectively manipulative right there. Yep, it works. Um, Stewie then suggests Jess could do it, and I don't know if you, you watch the show on subtitles like I do, but when Stewie suggests Jess could do it, there's this, it cuts to Jess, and it just said on the screen, squeals quietly i wrote that down i wasn't sure that was the standard subtitle but yeah that is a wonderful little subtitle so funny uh she does the "Mm, i'm not gonna do it uh kendall says he'll do it uh and ask if it's ready uh just says it looks like the letters got sent to a different printer on their wi-fi network oh my god been there what a tough unforced error (laughs) let's find what printer in the castle just printed out our going to take down logan roy message so Stewie and Kendall freak out. Someone opens the door. Kendall yells at them to get out. And it's his kid, Iverson, who we established in the Thanksgiving episode, has some sort of developmental or behavioral issue. Sure. Kendall follows him out, meets Rob and his other child. Um, he explains that he shouted at uh, Iverson because he thought he was someone else. Rava, it's like five in the afternoon, Ken. You okay? Which, by the way, settle down, Rava. Five in the afternoon is drinking hour. <laughs> It's not Very like it's point, 10 actually, in the yeah. morning. Like five, five is actually like the time we've all designated that you can start drinking. Yeah. The wedding's over. We, we just went through the whole ceremony. They've done the pictures. We're at the straight party mode from here on out for the rest of the evening. Yeah. I mean, you, you have some, you have a good argument here that he shouldn't be screaming at his kids, but your evidence is pretty poor with, well, it's five, well, five, whatever. Uh, Kendall says he's fine, but he's just dealing with quote, some big moves. I like Kendall more as this season goes on, but every once in a while he reminds you that he puts ketchup on his burrito because, my God, how <laughs> douchey was that? Just some big moves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's trying to involve her in some way in what's going on without running the details, but the better thing to do here is just not say it all. Just say, yep, sorry I yelled. I was in a meeting. You know, leave it at that. The whole big moves thing is very much a ketchup on a burrito moment. Yeah, it is. And then Rava, just being particularly mean but pretty funny here, says, would you like to yell at your other kid before we go? <laughs> that is such a dick thing to say right she there. She can be mean. She can be legitimately mean. Particularly in front of the kids. At that point, you're just trying to make him look bad in front of the kids. Just like, he yelled. It happens. It's unfortunate. He's apologizing. Let him out of it and let's go. Yeah, but one thing I think this show takes great pains to do is make sure you don't like any character. <laughs> Yeah, 
Because they have to they have to show you either characters being inept or mean across the board. Yeah, they give us ammunition against everybody, though it is varying degrees and varying strengths. Agreed, but I think this was a moment where it's like, well, don't don't really take Rob aside because she could be mean too. Yeah. Stewie walks out, he has the letter, says Kendall needs to do it now, because they don't really know where the other letters went. <laughs> mm-hmm. Stewie says he'll email Jerry and the board once the letter is delivered. Kendall takes this as a slight, says, what, you don't think I can do it? Stewie, only 15% of men, when it comes to it, can actually shoot an undefended enemy soldier. Kendall, he shot first. Kendall goes off to deliver the letter. Stewie is really keeping to a consistent theme here, and it's awesome. It's just like, you need to understand that this is an act of murder. You need to be able to emotionally accept that, because that's essentially what we're doing. We're killing the one thing that he loves. Yep. He's trying to get Kendall there. And Kendall, at least representing, is under that he understands it. We'll see how that plays out when he actually has to pull the trigger. On the way, he hears Roman pitching the idea of putting the launch. This is the, the rocket launch that Logan has tasked Roman with overseeing. I guess on a big TV for everyone to watch during the reception. I think that was his, his plan. Yeah, that's apparently his plan. Because he thought that was a great idea. So this shows, in a very, I think, somewhat subtle way, how inept Roman is in all things. Because... We find out later that he took great pains to make sure the launch happened on Shib's wedding day. Yeah. But he waited until after the rece- after the, the actual um, ceremony, moments before the reception starts, to pitch this idea. I mean, couldn't yeah. he, have, he could have brought it up a couple days ago, right? He could have done anything better than this to make it actually his gift to the wedding. If he'd talked with the wedding planner, if he'd worked with any aspect of planning the reception to accommodate this, Maybe it could have happened. It wouldn't have because it's not a great idea to happen at the wedding Stupid. anyway. And he, yeah, he, and he, it's a good thing for him. They fucking ship shut it down. Yeah, because that would have gone over great. <laughs> you imagine that? I, it, you know, in some ways, I almost expected them to do it. Because, I mean, they're, they're, as we talked about with the writers on this show, that's totally in their wheelhouse. Right. Like, you can tell Shiv. Shiv says no. He still gets a random stand-up TV to play it. And then that shows off before the entire reception. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it could happen. Ship says she doesn't want a big fucking dick blasting off at her wedding. Wow, Ship. Um, but anyway, in my notes, I just say, Roman has to be so glad she didn't agree to this. That would be <laughs> shitty. You know, sometimes you prefer if your moment of near corporate homicide isn't displayed before hundreds of random people and family. So Kendall pauses before he knocks on the door. He's outside of Logan's suite. Marsha answers, tells Logan it's Kendall. Uh, Logan, if he wants to stop me from buying papers and stations, he can... Roy House words here. Fuck off. <laughs> but he then immediately transitions to come on through, son, and just has a talk with him as he's shaving and preparing for the wedding. Like yeah. nothing is wrong. And just like I'm having a chat with my son while we're both getting ready for the next stage of the reception. And so this scene proves something we've talked about in previous episodes. Logan did not see this coming. Yeah. And I, I called that one wrong. I thought maybe there was some el- uh, evidence backing that up. But this clearly he's almost literally been caught with his pants down in this moment. Yeah. He says he's not on the can. Logan is trimming his nose hairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan is low-key really funny here. He says, nice service, right? Pity it wasn't Catholic, but there you go. Fucking all those kids hurt the brand. <laughs> if we could just get just a book of Logan witticisms, I would be happy. Just Very good. Have him comment on things. It would just be awesome. The wit and wisdom of Logan Roy. <laughs> I'd pay for it. I'd buy that. Speaking of uh, how much we like Logan Roy, uh, did you get something in the mail the other day? I did, and I can I can send you a picture of me wearing it here shortly, but apparently, and I did not know this, maybe it comes up next season, but Logan Roy's running for president, or at least I got a shirt indicating that he is. 
You were sent a, a shirt that says Logan Roy 2020. I was. And, and it's might, awesome. Might have come from me. You know, I'm, um, I am I now have a default mindset that if a random object arrives for me in the mail, it's either coming for you or apparently, based on our last question on the weekends, from Sarah. So I'm just anticipating that all gifts I'm receiving are not coming from you guys. Which, that story, for those that don't listen to Whiskey on the Weekends, Spencer got a random spoon. It was accidentally sent by my wife because I send Spencer so many things on Amazon that his address is my default shipping address for Amazon. I love that so much. That is so, that is so strange. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Back to the recap. Kendall says, him being there is not a nice thing. That's when Logan kind of drops. Yeah. He tells Logan to read the letter. Logan flips. Ask what it is. He's not going to grab it. Kindle sets a proposal to buy Waystar for $140 a share, which I think, based on the share price when Logan was um, incapacitated, is really good. I thought it dipped below, like, what, 110 or something then? Yeah, it, 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 it was definitely down. We can assume it's gone up a little bit, but I'm my guess based on this is that they're offering a cherry price for stock so that no one would reasonably turn them down. Exactly. We're asking you to come to the table. Open the books. It's great value for shareholders. There it is. I'm not going to get into feelings. Logan, yeah. is this a fucking bear hug? Um, Kendall, uh, Logan says, no, I won't do it. Basically saying, I'm not going to grab this fucking letter from you. I'm not going to participate in this. Mm-hmm. Kendall says, this is just the situation that's arisen. You were very tough. So am I as your son. So I think this is just the way it has to be with us. I'm not sorry for what I'm doing, which is correct, but I'm sorry for how it makes you feel. And it had, he just sounds like a fucking robot here. Yeah. I'm sorry it had to be today. Uh, yeah, The way this, he delivers it is so staccato. He seems so uncomfortable. Yeah, he, he clearly does not want to be doing this. He, this is clearly very much not how either he wanted this day to go or even his relationship with his father to go. But he's being forced to do it, so he's making this as purely through the motions as possible. And Logan reads this well and goes for the jugular in response. He does. Uh, Logan says, no, fuck off. Takes the letter and throws it in the toilet. Logan asks if Kendall knows why he's doing it. Kimball really fumbles with the answer. He says, do good things. Yeah. So, Logan, do good things. Be a fucking nurse. Kendall leaves. Logan barks for Marsha. He's pulling the letter out of the toilet. Logan explains that this was a bear hug and says, if they have the financing and major shareholders, then by tomorrow, Logan will need a lot of things he doesn't have. Yeah. Look, I mean, Logan's representing a strong point right here, and Kendall just falls apart before him, as you would expect him to do. But the moment Kendall's out of the room, having declared his plan to make good things, which is just so painful to watch, uh, Logan just immediately drops all drops all pretenses and just re- recognizes to Marsha, the person you can actually be honest with, that I'm probably screwed here. That if we get everything we can in place now, we probably will still lose this. They've got us by the hilt. And that answers the question that you and I were batting around, I think, last episode, was the vote of no confidence a better power play than the hostile takeover and i think the answer is he has a better chance with the the hostile takeover uh that kendall has a better chance of the hostile takeover exactly yeah 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 Yeah, i very much agree because it doesn't give logan one of logan's greatest abilities but because logan could always successfully browbeat people we saw it at at the um the um the no confidence vote that if he has you in a room he can get you on his side or get you to at least fall away before him. With going straight to the shareholders, there's a reason that he wanted to keep so much value in the company, so that that would never be an option. But when Kendall sold off, as diluted their ownership base, sold off a significant percentage to Stewie and, as we now found out, Stewie's backers, it gave additional weapon against him 
that he can't really effectively respond to. Not in his usual way. And he's a certain degree of helpless before it. Yep. Cut to downstairs where everyone is arriving for the reception. Marsha's son uh, comes downstairs and gets Jerry, who was talking to Gil, weirdly enough. Uh, it's Senator Gil Rivas. He's the mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders stand-in that uh, Shib currently works for. Mm-hmm. Who's yeah. running for president. I would love to see more of the son, because during this episode in particular, he really seems to be almost like a bagman for the Roys. He really is involved in a lot of the key things that are going on, but we know jack about him yet. I'm curious to learn more. Yeah, I agree, but he does look like, a, as, you, as you pointed out, uh, he looks like a very happy soldier. He's doing what he has to do. Oh, yeah, very much so, and doing it well from what we see. Connor comes up to Gil, and oh my gosh, oh God. Oh my in God. A, a spectacular display of political skill. Oh, yeah. Connor squares off with Gil Rebus. He says, ah, Gil, Gil Rebus, I'm a huge skeptic. Gil, that's good to know. Connor, socialism, huh? Wow, I have a big problem with you and everything you stand for, my friend. Shiv walks up, is sensing that this is not going to go well, and asks if they are good. Connor, listen, I look at you and I see Weimar. I see hyperinflation. I mean, look at your face. And no offense, but I see dead babies. Yeah. Gil, that's very interesting. Can't say that I agree, but um, look, would you excuse me for a minute? <laughs> that's the extent of it yeah and Connor as we see going forward sees this as like we just had a debate and I beat him because he had no response to me saying that it's like no you're at a wedding dude you're just a dick to a guy relatively randomly and he tried to calm the situation in the only way he could yeah he was being an idiot there um, but what I like about it is how I mean how much confidence he got from it oh, Connor yeah. that's the best he can do uh, and Shiv is sort of blown away. Um, up comes Roman, and he asks if Shiv doesn't want to show the launch because of Gil. Ask if he'd like it better if the rocket was full of Muslim granola. <laughs> I wrote down that line because it's such a Roman line. Muslim granola. Shiv says no, she just doesn't want a rocket at her wedding. Roman, uh, I'm Shiv, and I'm important because I work for a man with glasses. Is he a Jew, by the way? It's just a bad dance, just a simple, friendly, slightly racist question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what that is. Roman bemoans that Shiv is no longer fun. Mm-hmm. Ask her when she became, quote, one of them, which he defines as fancy bullshit. Like, uh, we can't say that kind of people. Um, Ship says she's sorry she can't come to his inward shouting hoedown. <laughs> Roman, inward, B word, C word. The world isn't fucking nursery school. People don't like to be taught. Roman gets a phone call, says he has to go because he needs to watch the rocket launch and that he's in charge of, uh, that he's in charge of, uh, that he moved around for Shib because she's too fucking carbon, car- but she's too carbon neutral to enjoy. So basically what he's saying here in a weird roundabout circular way, Roman is saying, I have to watch this launch. Uh, I'm in charge of it. I'm a big deal. I moved it around just for you, but you suck. And therefore we're not watching it together. Yeah. And I like that he's literally getting the call to watch the launch and he's still in some way holding out hope that they can play this at the wedding. There's not massive TVs in the venue room, man. There's no way this is happening anymore. Yeah. Fucking very weird. Um, Roman walks off, goes into a bathroom, it looks like, Mm -hmm. um, and is watching the launch live. Then um, Spencer, uh, I am a nuclear scientist and a rocket scientist. Seems, though, that the whole fucking thing blows up. You know, generally speaking, when you see that amount of fire, it's supposed to just be coming out of one side of the rocket, and it's like propelling it in a direction. This one seemed to be propelling little pieces everywhere, and I don't think that's what it's supposed to do. Now, the whole thing envelops in a flame. Roman puts the phone back in his pocket, washes his hands. (laughs) Spencer, uh, I have a baseball bat. It's called Symbolism. I'm going to hit you with it right now. Yeah, we'd like to have our Pontius Pilate moment right now. Thank you. Okay, moving on. Washes his hands and then heads out of the bathroom. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I got to Kendall and Stewie. Kendall says it was hard to give the letter to his dad. Stewie says, yeah, man, you fucking did it. Drinks, drinks, drinks. So Stewie's wanting to pour some drinks. He then dismisses Jess and pulls out a little bag of Coke. Um, Stewie says it's a celebration. Yeah, uh, from their mode, they have done everything that they intended to do. The pieces will now move without them. They can celebrate and just stay out of the way. Yeah, and if I had a if I had a nickel for every time you and I had the same sort of situation, where you know you're like you're congratulating me about something and you dismiss your assistant and just coke, you know, I'm glad we've shared those moments together, man. They've been very important to me. (laughs) Cut to Logan getting ready for the reception. He wants to know if any of the pilots can fly him home. Marsha points out that he doesn't want to appear panicked. Now, this is important. He doesn't want to appear panicked because in order for this hostile takeover to work, a hostile takeover is basically you go in and just buy up all the stock. Enough mm-hmm. to get to 51%. You gain effective control of the company. You oust the CEO. Mm-hmm. They have to get shareholders to buy in, to their literally to buy in, to their sell price. And mm-hmm. they're going to be looking at Logan to see how he's reacting to this. So perception is a big deal here. It was a pretty astute point by your girlfriend, Marsha. Yeah, and it's one of those things of where it's still not easy to do this because Logan is still probably the largest single shareholder of this company. Oh, he is. And so but he doesn't have 50%. He does not have 50%, but he presumably has something like 40 pretty squared away. So they need to get everybody on board to make this happen. And so what he represents, what strengths he shows out to them is key right now. They need to establish a fundamental lack of confidence in him so that everybody goes, okay, well, let's see what the other alternative is right now. Yep. Um, so Logan asked Jerry about an emergency board meeting. She says it'll be tomorrow. Logan wants to know where that fucking shrunken California raisin is, which is apparently what he calls the president. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Logan indicates the financials aren't in their favor, so they need to call in all their political favors. So Mm -hmm. Logan preparing his defense. Yeah. And it's a smart call that if you only have a set amount of, uh, money that's in play, if you only have a set amount of ownership of the company, it's still able to bring to bear. Let's get the wall literally on our side. Why not? If we have that card to play. Yep. Downstairs, Wyla is aimlessly walking around and Connor pulls her aside. Pulls her over by the kings. That's perfect, he says. Mm-hmm. You called this many, many, many episodes ago. You called it very early. Good for you. Connor says he finally found a job he wants to do. President of the United States. I did not call president. I did not call president. I called you politics. Call political, yeah, you call political ambitions, yeah. I, I did not aim that high. I did not assume that Connor was that delusional as to think that, okay, I've now defended a presidential candidate in a debate. I'm ready for this. I've done the sad sack wasp trap. I've had my initial Napoleon at Toulon moment. I'm ready to claim the consulship. Just, okay, Connor. I'm glad you aim high, son. Okay, but knowing that I did these pods when I'd already seen this, can you imagine how, like, I mean, put yourself in my position. You called it in, like, episode three. It was so hard for me to hold it because you mentioned it for, like, five or six episodes before we finally got to this reveal that, yes, he is going to run for president of the United States. I had an inkling. I mean, he, when he started talking politics with his dad in the car and then immediately, you know, talked about it being his Napoleonic moment and just the delusions of grandeur that he has, I saw a couple signs. I just, again... The show surprised me just how far it goes with what it foreshadows. Yeah, I don't always give you credit for calling things, especially when you don't call it, like Sam writing a song of ice and fire. Bullshit, you owe me money. But in this one, you called it. Shout out to you. 11 out of 10 effort there. Round of applause for Spencer. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I like these moments. Because you, you make me crow like nobody's business. But, you know, I appreciate the little favors you give me, too. I will give you credit when you call it. And you called another one we'll get to later. Wyla laughs until she figures out that Connor isn't joking. 
she says it sounds, quote, like a fun project, which I imagine is exactly what Andrew Yang's wife told him when he said he was running for president. Can you imagine? Andrew Yang's like, I'm going to run for president. That sounds like a fun project, Andrew. Oh, honey, yeah, that'll get you, you know, doing things. Connor asks if her lack of enthusiasm is concerned about the financing of her play. He says he liked it. And then Wyla sort of pushes back here and points out, yeah, you liked it, but you don't want to waste your money putting it on, but running for president, that's a sound investment. Then they have a weird pithy back and forth when Connor points out he'd need to clean up her past, you know, I guess in order to be president, but that's what, uh, but but doing that is huge. Wyla says nothing is more powerful than art. Yuck. Bull, but okay. Yeah, Connor, weirdly enough, the voice of reason here. No, sure, you know, apart from the power of the executive branch. Uh, Wyla, drama can change minds. Connor, yeah, but not really. I could outlaw drama. I mean, if I would, but just illustrating the power of the position. Yeah, I'm with Connor here. He seems to be understanding with the relative comparisons in power right now. Particularly the drama that a currently unpublished, unnamed, uncredentialed playwright could offer. Ah, you're very nice to call her playwright. Uh, you know, it's how what she's referring to herself by, and I'm willing to accept that identifier for the time being. But, so Connor is fundamentally right here, but he's wrong. You can't outlaw drama, Connor. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, you couldn't literally just say, I have banned a mode of expression, but there's ways you could interfere with it. Uh, in the same room, Carolina calls uh, Roman over to her, where Tabitha already is, and introduces Roman to the police and some sort of commissioner. And the guy has to clarify he's the police and crime commissioner. Mm-hmm. Which is basically like a sheriff in that area. Yeah. Caroline, he knew your father and me back when he was doing something more boring. Caroline is, or Caroline, I'm sorry. Caroline is really funny. She is, yeah, she is. I, like her funny per line might be the highest percentage of the show, except for maybe Roman. Here's a question. The kids seem to like despise her and want to avoid her at all times. I personally would love to have her around and invite her to events. What's your mindset on this? I would love to have her around if she wasn't my mother. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like she's so unpredictable. She hangs them out to dry so often socially. Yeah, if she was just a friend that you were inviting to parties, that could be fun. If she was actual family, that's got some extra baggage put on it. Yep. Tabitha asked Roman how the launch went. Roman is evasive, but finally settles online and says it went great. Tabitha seems excited and Roman awkwardly walks off. Yeah, Tabitha and Roman are an interesting kind of thing because, you know, she seems to legitimately like him, I guess. Yeah, sure. and, yeah and he seems to like her, and maybe that's good. It's like, I don't expect these kind of relationships out of Roman where someone's legitimately providing him honest, well-meaning support for him and wants to know how he's doing and how his day's going. That's an honest relationship of a weird sort. Yeah, I think she likes him, but I think it's tinged with, you know, how, how much money he has. Yeah, because I mean, she does she does complain about the lack of sex, like every chance she gets. Yeah, but she's putting in a lot more effort than Wyle is right now, and making it seem a lot more real. (laughs) Uh, Logan and Marsha come downstairs with Jerry in tow. Logan approaches Kendall and Stewie. Stewie starts to suggest that for tonight, I guess they were he was going to say they call a truce or something. But before he can get it out, Logan cuts him off for tonight. For tonight, some kid walks up. I think this is the same kid that was talking to um, Greg. In the last episode. I think so, yeah. A caterer. And ask if he can top off Logan's wine. Logan says no, but the kid does it anyway. Logan screams, what the fuck? Jerk. Kid says, sorry, sir. I didn't mean to. Well, you fucking did, you prick. Go on. Fuck off. Get out of here. Fuck off. Two house words there in one sentence. Logan is very angry. Spencer, this seems to me like some sort of way that you treat people in the hospitality industry. What is Logan thinking here? 
Okay, I'm going to object to your first characterization. I'm going to respond to your second. Uh, uh, in, t- in terms of the second, this is... We're seeing just how threaded Logan is right now. That Logan, we've seen before, is very nice to the help. He very much represents a position of power and absolute control. And we're seeing just how pushed to the brink he is right now. That this is a massive overreaction. He normally would have just laughed this off and it just would have been irrelevant. But right here, right now... But, it's either A, you view it as just he's very much threaded, or B, he's using this in some ways as a position of power about those around him. But I'm going with option A, that he's showing a moment of weakness down here at the wedding just because of what lack of control he's displaying. I agree. Definitely using the kid as a whipping boy and definitely showing that he is threatened. Um, the kid says, sorry, sir, I thought you said yes. Stop talking! Don't look at me! Get the fuck out! Uh, Logan walks up to some manager and says he never wants to see the kid again. File that away. Yeah. Kendall looks around awkwardly knowing what this outburst is really about. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Jerry gets an update on her phone and seeks out Roman, who has just dismissed Tabitha to fetch him something stronger. God, he can be a douche. Mm-hmm. Jerry says she's busy on something else. <laughs> yeah, she really is. But she said 40 calls about the launch. <laughs> <laughs> Roman pretends he's ignorant. Jerry says, well, it blew up. <coughs> Sorry. Um, Roman, it blew up. Jerry, yes. It exploded on the launch pad. Here's my question to you, Spencer. What was Roman's actual plan here? Uh, in terms of hiding this, I don't... What's the long-term plan by just putting your phone in your pocket, washing your hands, and pretending like it didn't happen? Apparently, he was going cartoon ostrich plan right now. Just that, you know, if I don't, if I don't acknowledge that it happened, it didn't happen. (laughs) As long as I don't engage, it isn't part of my world. Yeah, uh, Roman says, well, I didn't hear that. It was a bad. Jerry, I'll reiterate. It exploded <laughs> on the launch pad. <laughs> yeah. Roman then wants to know if there's any casualties uh, because he did ask them to accelerate the launch despite concerns because he thought it would be nice for the launch to happen on ship's wedding day. Like fireworks, big fireworks. Jerry, well, you got that right. John Roman says, well, I sent a lot of emails on this topic, and I'm just telling you because, you know, you, you may want to protect me. Jerry, <laughs> I can try, but fuck, you're looking at potential corporate manslaughter. Spencer, is corporate manslaughter a thing? You know, I'd never actually heard of that term before. I'm not familiar with it. That That's just not something, I, not something I'm aware of. All right, we've reached the limits of your lawyerness. I will Google this as you continue. Um... Cut to Logan's body man getting the kid Logan screamed at to sign what looks like an NDA in exchange for an envelope to, you know, paying him off. So now this reception really begins and Tom and Ship walk in. Uh, Logan stands up to give a speech. Says the day is a day he'll never forget as long as he lives. I'm sure about that. And he wanted it to be perfect for Ship. No one, no one could ruin this. It's a power. It's powerful to be surrounded by those we love, trust and hold very dear. Because uh, there is answer- nothing more important than family. And uh, answer to your prior question, the reason I have heard of it, it isn't a thing under U.S. law. It's a thing under English common law. It's, it, it exists in um, countries like the U.K., New Zealand, Australia, around there. But we don't really actually have a law uh, concerning corporate manslaughter in this country. At least it's a separate crime. So should we shout the fuck out to Jerry for knowing that? <laughs> she is a well-prepared corporate executive. Uh, however, well... Huh, it's a fun question to debate then about what law he'd be prosecuted under. But yeah, it shows just the array of her knowledge that she's apparently very familiar with international laws of, of a variety of different countries. Yeah, good to her. Um, 
so not a shocker that Logan uses his chance to speak at the uh, reception to take shots at Kendall. He finishes the toast with to family. Gil, he's joking, right? <laughs> <laughs> Can't even contain himself at this point. Give me a break. Uh, Jerry comes over to give Logan an update. They're going to London the next day to make calls to investors. He's got the president in 25 minutes and the EU commissioner in the morning. Fuck, man, Spencer. When Logan takes on a full court press, it's really impressive. Yeah, I mean, this is just one of the things that were, I think it was last episode, uh, Kendall and Stu were talking, and Stu was like, oh, you know, he might roll over, and Kendall's like, <laughs> no, no, he only method he knows, the only thing he knows how to respond to this is just full-fledged total war. Marsha asks about a poison pill defense. Jerry says she'll have that ready. Now, Spencer, do you know what a poison pill defense is? I actually don't, do you? I do. So what it is, is when you are... You are the CEO and you control a company and you're facing a hostile takeover. One of the things you can do is offer up more shares to basically dilute the shares, bring on new investors who are with you so that you retain 50%. Interesting. Yeah. So you, you split a lot of shares, you sell off shares, you tank the value of each share. So you, you absolutely destroy the wealth accumulated by the other investors so that you can bring on new investors who agree with you so that you now are back at 50 51%. Interesting. So it's almost like a court packing scheme of where, okay, the Supreme Court doesn't agree with me. I'm going to make it 13 justices now. So it is, but there are long-term implications. So they call it poison sure. pill because effectively you're, you are taking the company and tanking the stock value. Oh yeah. Tanking the value of individual shareholders um, and, and really hurting the company in order to keep control of it. Hence why they call it a poison pill. It's not something, it's not a pleasant option to consider. It is very much a last fallback plan, I'm sure. Right. But even the fact that um, Marsha is asking about it and Jerry is taking it seriously shows just how in a corner Logan really is. Right. If they're considering this option, they're basically ready to go nuclear. Exactly. Jerry uh, asked Logan if he's told the kids, such a Logan moment here. He's like, oh, is there some advantage to doing so? Jerry's like, well, no. I just mean like, just like, like, had you told them? And Logan's like, oh, yes, 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 sure. Fine, fine, fine. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is briefly her playing godmother right now. Like, uh, oh, oh, just tell them because they're my children. Oh, yeah, sorry, I hadn't thought of that. Right, yeah, basic humanity. Sorry, that's not my default. So Roman gets up to, a, to give a speech and look the fuck out, everybody. <laughs> um, Spencer, Roman is your brother. Do you let him speak at the reception? God, no, but I don't think you could reasonably stop him. But God, no, if I can stop it. Especially because they seem to be doing the thing where it's like pass around the microphone. Yeah. As opposed to like most weddings, mine was this way where it's like, okay, we have a speaking schedule. Nobody else has a chance to grab the microphone. <laughs> yeah. We're not doing this free form. There is too, there is too much live ammunition in this room to play it out that way. Uh, good Roman line here. I don't think I'm losing a sister. I don't think I'm gaining a brother either. I don't feel anything. It's a mental disorder. It's called borderline personality disorder. Why is everybody laughing? <laughs> it's another great <laughs> moment here by Roman where I think he's just telling the truth. Yeah, it, honestly, it goes over well because he's being mostly self-deprecating. So, you know, the, the many things Roman could have said here, like, you know, straight up prescribed, hey, has everyone met Tabitha? Uh, this yeah. is a much better way for it to go. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I believe that he probably has been diagnosed with this at some point because we know from the episode Austerlitz, when he's talking to Shib, that he, he does see a psychiatrist regularly. Oh, yeah, he, I don't, I don't like to assume people's uh, neurological state, but Roman does not strike me as neurotypical in full ways. There's there's a variety of things going wrong, going off with him. Absolutely. Shib gets up to speak. Uh, weird to speak at your own wedding, right? 
Yeah. Have you seen that sh- before? <laughs> I've mostly just seen people say, like, you know, oh, thank you for everyone coming. That kind of just gracious host kind of thing. Mostly when people are speaking, it's about you, and you're just kind of, you know, serving as the object of it and a vague kind of host. Never seen someone actually give their own speech. Yeah. Um, she asked, who wants to hear about the bachelorette party? Which, if I don't know if you call it, Roman very much does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she says that. Uh, definitely have not heard that before either at a wedding. She jokes that they knitted, made salads, and did some yoga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no one will tell you different because we kill a stripper. Mm. She says, I'd like to thank my dad because I'm contractually obligated to thank him. Uh, she then calls Tom her rock, mocks the awes that follow that, and concludes that he's a good guy and she likes hanging out with him. Then she proceeds to toast herself and Tom. Yeah. She sucks. Uh, she sucks. I mean, she couldn't even just some, fake some warmth right there. She lit, She says to her husband that she just married, you know, you're cool. You know, it's, it's fun spending time with you. It's like, okay, I'm glad you're buddies. I know. It's like, I was thinking about it. I was like, short of the the rock thing, like if you take that out, then like, it, I may I may say this shit at your wedding. Like, <laughs> you're a good guy. I like hanging out with you. Like, that's such a, it's such a bland fucking thing to be saying about somebody that you're supposed to be that close with. And it's just indicative of, of Shib. First, how she feels about Tom. But second, her ability to express any sort of affection she has for anybody vocally. Yeah, very much so. And it, it, it's like, it's one of those things where I would almost feel weird saying that to someone I'm hanging out with because I'm hanging out with them. It's like, that's such just a bland thing to say about anybody when you're already spending time with them. It's like, yeah, obviously I feel this way. I'm there. That's a good point. She said that about her husband. And if I said that about you at your wedding, you'd be like, could you come up with something better than that? Jesus, Terry. It's like, dude, you've got the mic How about in your you be nice? <laughs> obviously that's true. Oh God. She's like, she's like reading like a hostage letter. This one, she sucks. Uh, Caroline gets up and gives a pretty heartwarming speech until it's not. She says that she and Shib don't always see eye to eye, in part because Logan stole her away across the Atlantic. Shots fired. But mm. she says Shib is special and she loves her. Which she needed oh. to say in public because she's getting on, and which means getting older in British. And uh, she might not have a chance to say it when Shib remarries. <laughs> I had such hopes for a second there. Uh, no. Shib really doesn't like the joke, but Tom sells it. Yeah, yeah, Shout Tom likes it. Tom laughs it off well because you know Tom's actually trying to make this a fun wedding for all involved in a way that apparently a lot of other people aren't. I think he's really happy, which is kind of yeah. sad. I yeah, I think he's legitimately viewing this as one of the better best days of his life right now, and that is just going to come tumbling down in a few moments. And now it's Tom's turn to speak. He gets up and he says he likes saying the word wife, 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 wife. He repeats it an obnoxious amount and at one point stares at Nate while he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Tom Din says that Shib is his life, uh, and he's going to stop talking now because he feels like he's going to cry. It'd be crazy to cry because of how happy he is. Thanks them all for coming and says he loves them all. Good speech by Tom. Yeah, and that's more the speech I've heard from like the bride or groom at the wedding. Just kind of that, yeah. I'm really happy to be here. I'm so glad everyone's here with me. This is the best day. That He's sticking to a, an effective script right now. It's a, it is a really heartfelt, uh, heartfelt speech that everyone rallies behind. I agree. I thought it was a, a very good speech by Tom. I give him a 9 out of 10. Bravo. Bravo. Uh, the dancing starts, and Nate pulls Shib aside. She references some text message he sent earlier, which was, I won't do it if you don't. Um, desperate ass Nate. That's a that's a weird text message to send somebody on their wedding day. That is a, not just weird. That's just... <laughs> I'm not even sure what the word to use for that is. It's just exceptionally rude. It's just like, you're at the fucking wedding, man. I mean, you shouldn't well, be there anyway. It's, it's just like... Sorry, but it's also reminiscent of the conversation that we talked about where Shib tells Nate, I tried to play with you, but you broke. 
Yeah. And clearly, clearly he has broken once again. Yep. Uh, Nate brushes that off and informs her that he knows about the deal she struck to bury the story about the Waystar cruise line scandal. It's the cruise line scandal we've referenced multiple times on the podcast before, but just as a refresher, it's um, a series of um, criminal acts that occurred on Waystar cruise ships that they um, took various pains to brush aside or cover up or pay off people so that it didn't get out. So it's, it's a pretty, pretty bad thing. Ship did deliver this to Gill, which would have been a, a real gut punch to Logan, if not a knife to the heart. Um, but then Ship negotiated a deal wherein Nate would uh, or Gill would not release the story; he would kill the story. But uh, ATN, which is the the Fox News S News network that Logan runs, would continue to attack uh, Gill during the primary, but back off in the general. Right, and it. Strong suggests that, well, it seems now, and I didn't actually kind of, I didn't really think about this, but apparently she cut Nate entirely out of the loop for this. He's just she did. now finding out about it secondhand, which I, I was surprised. I was, that, that caught me off guard. I was more surprised that Gil accepted it without taking counsel from Nate first. That's, yeah, that too. It's just like this, it just shows how much of a power play this was by Shiv with respect to this, that she's basically muscled Nate out of key decisions like this. Yep. Nate says he works for Gil because he, you know, not to be a bleeding art here, but I care about things like inequality. Shiv, oh, inequality. Well, if you can't handle it, then, Roy House words, fuck off. And Nate's legitimately floored like now. He's like, who are you? And Shiv's like seeing this as just this glory moment for her of where she's just embracing the power that she's now brought to, that she's now brought to bear. She says, I'm Shiv fucking Roy and I'm going to have two very grateful people, the next president and my father. It's like Nate's finally seeing Shiv as she really is right now. Yep. She walks away. Logan walks up to her and says, you need to talk to your brother. As a matter of fact, yeah. you all need to talk, talking about the kids. Mm hmm. Connor pulls Kendall into a side room where Roman and Shiv are waiting. Shiv starts out with, what the fuck? Kendall says it was out of his hands, Roman. You're a real piece of work, man. You act like you're a fucking guy, like a decent guy, but you're a piece of shit, man. Kendall says they can talk. No reason to treat him like the enemy. Um, feel free to jump in any point here, but I'm going to try to blow through it. Um, sure. says that, Shiv says they'll, they'll, they'll talk to him however uh, they fucking want. Basically, I'm, I'm going to talk to you like the enemy if I want to, or how the fuck ever because of what you're doing. Kendall says... They can ask him any questions they want. Roman wants to know uh, what the fuck. Uh, but then Kendall uh, clarifies he's just trying to save the company. Um, by fucking us forever? Kendall says they'll all be fine. But Roman points out that their inheritance is all, is tied up in stock. And if dad goes fucking nuts, fucking nuts um, which is the poison pill strategy that we know Logan is very much considering, they could be left with a fraction of the wealth they currently have. Yeah, and... It seems like Kendall legitimately, well, really didn't consider that option. Like, he's just of the view that, well, there'll be new ownership, the stock price will even go up, it'll be fine. It's just, it's all about replacing dad. And I don't think he fully got that, or even maybe fully accepts that, no, the dad might just burn this all down out of spite to stop you. Well, you have to think, if he does take the poison pill approach, he's tanking his own wealth, too. Yeah. He is destroying the wealth of the family in a way that it may never recover from, but it may successfully keep this degree of pride in play. 
Uh, Connor tries to be the voice of reason and says that right now we're somebody's, but any doofus can have a few million bucks. Ship is so angry she cuts in, saying uh, Kendall is fundamentally altering the future of her family on her wedding day. Shib, do you have any conception of how goddamn selfish you are? Roman pushes back on the whole wedding day boohoo angle and says, it's not about a dress. Ship says, I know it's not about a fucking dress. Connor again cuts in, says this move will affect the next thousand years. Yuck. Kendall tells him, this is just a little maneuver and you shouldn't get so sentimental. Shib, sentimental? You think this is us just being sentimental just for the hell of it? She says something about how he shouldn't do that to their dad on her wedding day. Now that fires Kendall up and says she just likes the power that it gets her closer to the hill. Cutting yeah. line here in Rome, you couldn't get a job in a fucking burger joint, let alone a Fortune 500 company without a little nepotism. And Khan, you like the glamour of it. Gives you a fucking freak show in a desert. Whew. This is again, we've, I mean, he's, we previously said that, you know, Kendall was really accurate at his reads and getting people to have some a therapy moment when he was high. Apparently he's also capable of doing that when he's got his back to a wall because God, does he accurately sum up three characters right now. He can be really cutting when he wants to. I mean, when he hit Roman with that, you couldn't get a job in a fucking burger joint. You know that Roman has that in the back of his mind all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, he, yeah. He's always questioning his own capabilities. And to say it right after the goddamn spaceship blew up. Which he doesn't know about right now, probably. No, but but it, but Roman yeah. does. Oh, yeah. It's extra painful right there. Because yeah. his, his failure has now been displayed in fireworks. Uh, fireworks, yeah. Connor says he just needs the help of the family firm to help him become president, which everyone balks at. And Kendall says, yeah, yeah, right. You're all living in a fucking dream word, world. Door opens and Logan walks in. So how's the torture going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Kendall says he knows what they're doing. And what they're doing, I think, here is trying to exert. And this is what Logan was talking about a little bit before. He was saying the financials aren't in our favor. We have to exert other influence. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he's trying to do that politically, but now he's also trying to do it within his family. Oh, yeah. The, as we talked about last episode, Kendall's the weak link in this plan. That if you can exert any degree of emotional or other control over him, you can make this whole thing fall apart. But despite the fact he knows what they're doing, he's not going into it. Logan pushes him to. Mm-hmm. Logan, you don't think you owe us an explanation? Kendall, I don't owe you anything. No. Logan, what have you had in your entire life that I haven't given you? Now, sidebar here. Logan always has this trump card with his kids, right? It's true. I know, but it has to suck a little bit because you can never get in a conversation where you're actually just arguing the point. Oh, yeah. Because he can argue. always say, you owe me because of all I've given you. Oh, yeah. He's got history that he can bring to bear at any point, and it prevents any honest conversation from happening from that moment because it's always true. It's always background, but it's utterly irrelevant to what we're talking about right now. Kendall says he's not getting into it. Um, Kendall, I'm doing this thing, okay? I don't owe you anything. Logan, I blame myself. I spoiled you, and now you're fucked, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're a hothouse flower. That you're nothing, you're curdled cream. Maybe you should write a book or collect sports cars or something. But the world? Nah, I'm sorry. You're not made for it. Kendall, you're a fucking beast. Kendall exits an extraordinarily tense room. I love the line, I'm sorry you're a hothouse flower. Yeah. Like, yeah, you have grown and you have bloomed, but you've done it not in the real world. Right. You have done it in this own little perfectly preserved isolated area of the world and have no concept of how to survive if you were just cut off and having to roam into it. It's a very, very interesting description. That's a, I'm yeah. going to call my cat a hot house flower. <laughs> Which one? Which one? Uh, no, 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 not, not Picasso Frost. Definitely. No, not. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> like, I wouldn't insult the mean one, but I think you could say that for pets too, right? Like, yeah, you know, you got all this confidence and you're doing well, but you, you live in this isolated little world. And I mm-hmm. think that's, that's as condescending as that analogy is. I think that's what Logan was going for. No, no, it, it's a perfect way of describing his children. And 
it it just shows a certain degree uh, ver- it shows just how capable Logan is to put out that kind of turn of phrase because it's so again like his son just accurately summarized the other three children it really hits Kendall in a way that all we could basically just say is fuck off and leaves Kendall goes down to his room and Stewie's there uh, he's looking for coke and Stewie is pretty evasive about answering if he has any Kendall finally says he just needs a little straightener and Stewie says yeah sorry man I just, I just don't have it Spencer I posit to you that this is Stewie's first outright lie. This is Stewie's first outright lie, and he, I don't think he's making much of an effort to hide it. Um, I'm assuming that Stewie probably has an entire suitcase that has nothing but cocaine in it, but... Well, he's, he didn't bring it on the plane. Well, I guess he could have. He, he doesn't have to go through customs or anything. Yeah. No, private plane the whole way over. Um, yeah, it's one. Of, he is realizing that, okay, the party phase is done now. We need to be... We need to be prepared for tomorrow. We literally have three set check-in times. We get, yeah, we with, need, with Sandy Furness, yeah. Yeah. We need to be ready for this. Our celebration phase is over, and I'm realizing, looking at you, that you are going into a place that I need to pull you back from, or at least stop you from going there. Yep. Back at the reception, Connor is asking Roman if anyone died as a result of the shuttle explosion. Roman still doesn't know. It changes the subject to Connor wanting to be president. Says, you, you were joking about that, right? Uh, Connor, no, Why? Roman, well, generally speaking, people don't like you. <laughs> it could be a Roman line of the episode right there. And Connor tries to just, like, laugh this off and just, like, no, that, yeah, that's pretty accurate right there. Connor really condescends to Roman. He starts doing the thing that you do when you're, you're being super alpha. Like, you start grabbing people's, like, shirt and mm-hmm. jacket and kind of, like, you know, fluffing it up for him. Um, he says uh, that he's up for the job. And as president, he would fight against, quote, the great dangers. Yeah, that, that's an interesting phrase. And uh, yeah, his, uh, his described great dangers are very interesting, too. Yeah, Roman, what are the great dangers? And he kind of cups the top of his hands under his head. Like, oh, tell me, I'm just a little child. And Gunner says some crazy shit and finally lands on usury and onanism. Did you know what onanism was? No, I had to Google that one. And now that word's in my brain. Yep. Connor explains it's unsecured debt and masturbation. Spilling of good seed. Yeah. Uh, does he, is he being metaphorical? Or is he not? Hard to tell. Hard to I, tell here. I, I don't know with this man. If you, if this is a metaphor, fine. That's got options you could play out there. But with Connor, I have no idea. He it's literally maybe about He literally maybe be about to start a war on masturbation. And I could not know for sure. Yeah. Very, very hard to tell. Um, Roman, that sounds dope. Connor, I mean, it's from my readings. And I don't want to pay taxes. Roman, well, duh. Jerry! <laughs> I love how Roman, he says, I don't want to pay taxes. And Roman goes, well, duh. <laughs> and Roman finds an exit. Yep, and he goes to Jerry to ask if there are any fatalities from the explosion. And she tells him there were none. Just two guys who lost thumbs. And maybe someone will lose an arm. Spencer, question for you. We saw the explosion. Mm-hmm. How the hell do you lose just a thumb? In a rocket launch explosion. My best guess is like flying debris just severed a couple digits. Maybe. But thumbs on two different guys. It's such a weird injury. It's a very weird injury. I also don't know why necessarily anyone would be injured, period. Because, you know, this happens. These things blow up or collapse every now and then. You'd keep a safe zone. But I guess, again, just with how much Roman pushed this forward, they they didn't even have basic safety parameters in place. I just don't know how the hell you lose a thumb. But anyway, um, Tom asks Roman how he's doing. Uh, says he's sorry about Kendall. Roman, 
guess who lost a couple thumbs and didn't kill anyone? This guy. My line of the episode right there. <laughs> Cut to outside and Greg approaches Kendall. Says he's heard and he's happy. Says things need to change. Greg, this is Greg talking to Kendall. Mentions the cruise line scandal, but then tells Kendall he's made a few uh, copies of key documents in case he ever got in any trouble. Uh, Kendall asks a question about finding drugs and he dismisses it and he goes on and says, so I just think anyone would be wise to keep me in a good role. And Kendall is legitimately impressed by this. He figures out he, what he's doing. Greg, yeah. the motherfucking egg. Look credit at you, to, you little Machiavellian fuck. I see you, Greg. I like it. Yeah, credit to Greg here. We're just again seeing how far he's coming with this because he's reading the tea leaves. He's seeing that Kendall's making a play to take over this company. Apparently that news got to Greg even at this point. And he's trying to saddle up next to the side he thinks going to win. But doing it in a very Machiavellian way. Like, hey. You don't, want to, you don't want to get rid of me. I'll take you down. Yeah, you're about to take this whole thing over. I, you, you, you're talking about poison pills. I've got the ultimate poison pill that'll kill all of you. So, maybe I should be taken care of going forward. Shout out to Greg. Most yeah. improved player of the season, right? Oh, yeah. And I love that whenever he shows little moments like this, people around him go, You. Yeah, you. I'm impressed. But I like when he says, I see you, Greg. I like it. Mm -hmm. And then Greg turns around and then to himself says, Hell yeah. <laughs> credit to greg he's come so far not necessarily in a good way but he's come so far he's playing the game within the the rules of the game he's playing right like it's like this is kind of how you have to do it if you're operating in this environment yeah it's, it's, it's a whole thing about you know would you rather be in a pool with a shark if you know you're in the pool with the shark you play you, you play you play accordingly exactly during the course of this though greg does mention to kindle that some of the guys smoke weed around back so kindle takes off for out back little did greg know what effects this would have going forward it's not good. Cut to Shiv and Tom. Tom is telling Shiv how great she looks. Tom, can I rip it? Talking about her, her dress. Shiv very casually just says, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shiv is going on about Gil. Tom, Shiv, let's just fuck. Shiv, you're very forward, sir. What the fuck? It's their wedding night. What other time, Spencer, can you be forward? This is the... Traditionally, this is the one moment you've had an opportunity to be forward. Uh, Tom says he doesn't care about any plan. And he just wants to be with her. Quote, let's go to fucking New Zealand and be sheep farmers. Can you scuba? Then let's go and teach scuba. Let's get out. Mm -hmm. Spencer, we talk a lot of shit about Tom, rightfully so. But I think this might be the most romantic thing we've seen on the show. Yeah, but he's just showing her that, you know, we don't have to do any of this. I just love you. We can go do whatever we want. We've got the resources that we can just be happy in any way we choose. We don't have to be part of this rat race anymore. And he means yep. this. He, he's, we wanted to give up the power just to be with her. And it propels Shib to this. Quote, Tom, I've got to tell you something. And he drops because he knows what's coming. And she says, I should have told you before. I had a little number. A little number. Tom needs to know uh, what that means. And she says, you know, because I thought we were both grown-ups and we were going to behave in a very uh, grown-up manner. Spencer, why does Shib keep equate being an adult with fucking anybody she wants? I don't know. I think that she just keeps on building up these layers to, you know, block and explain her own guilt. That she's just like, invents this imaginary scenario that, well, you know, this is normal. So this isn't weird that I'm doing. This is just, this is just how people act. That, you know, we're, we're being responsible and professional. and We're talking about this before. And so everything's fine. And she knows from the get go it isn't, but she's, a, it's enough of a facade that she can just put it on that instead. Uh, Tom says, did we? 
you know, sort of imply yeah. that this is okay and should be. Yeah, I always implied, I thought. Ugh, mm-hmm. Tom asked who, but he knows it's Nate. And it asked if he could send him home. Um, it's interesting that he asked permission to send a guy home who fucked his wife at his own wedding. Not, not didn't fuck his wife at his own wedding, but he's sending the guy away from his own wedding who had fucked his wife. That his wife invited to be there. And, and he feels like he has to ask permission for that? It, again, just, yeah. Yeah, he does. And That's yeah, ridiculous. Per- mm-hmm. And then she, I mean, it just keeps getting worse from here because now she basically just tells him, I I just think I'm just I'm just not sure if I'm a good fit for a monogamous marriage. Well, that's a conversation you wanted to have before. Yeah, she says, "Is it okay that I said I say this to you? I said that to you." And Tom said, it, "Yeah, it is, but it would have been nice if we could have discussed it before." It's no shit. Shib again mentions how much of a mess she was when she got with Tom. I'd really like to hear that backstory at some point. Do we get it at some point? I'm not going to answer that question. God damn it. Um. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. It's just that. She, this is the second time she's referenced this about where I was, you were my stability. You helped me come back from that. I would love to know more about what that was because we've debated really a lot how their relationship works and why it is and how it started. And that little detail seems key for us fully understanding it. I think it really is. Um, She says, we've got the business angle that works. We're good on that. We have a plan. But in terms of the relationship, I'm just wondering if there's an opportunity for something different than the whole box set death march tom is taken aback by this shib then explains that this open marriage idea could be exciting um spencer you're you're a big open relationship guy what is she what what is the parameters that she's really talking about here can i get you to write a book of what things you assume about me just you know (laughs) I, i want you to write down just maybe a short story of how you assume my life is because that sounds like a hell of a read (laughs) <laughs> I make a joke there, obviously, but I, I think that the broader point I'm trying to make is she's not being clear about what this means. She's and basically I, saying, oh, I want the ability to have sex with whoever I want, but she's not, she's offering such little detail that I would be kind of offended that she even brought it to me and this without is, having thought it out. And this is the same as she's done before of where she seems to want to work an implication so that there aren't clear rules. There aren't clear parameters. So it just gives her the freedom to exist in that kind of gray area and just shrug and say, oh, well, we had a deal. You know, we talked about it. And that does not engender trust in any way. Yeah. She says, love is the last fridge magnet left. Tom says, yeah, yeah. But how do you mean? Shim did, Shib then tries to explain what love is. Spencer, did any of this word salad make sense to you? Not a thing. And I, I don't. Not, I'm just going to go with not a thing, because it's just a spiel of random words put together in a kind of mixed order. It's like when Roman tries to insult somebody. It's just that, I've been called to the carpet, I need to say something now. I'm just going to turn off any degree of actual control and let things flow. Yeah, that's a very good very good comparison to Roman's insults when she was trying to explain love. Tom says, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. You're right. It's love. It's bullshit. She says, yes. And he says, but I do love you. Oh, man, Spencer. That's it. This this show doesn't offer you many tearjerker moments, but that was one of them. It was. I mean, the actor. I've not seen the actor that plays Tom anything before, but he does a hell of a powerhouse just reacting to another person in this scene. Of where his reactions when she says things like the box set death march, and then just condemns love before him. It's just he really sells it well about that. He has a completely polar opposite views to her apparently on all this. And is just now realizing where she's at on all this. And is still trying to keep it. She, he's still trying to... He, he's being honest with her in a way that... Well, 
It's a weird thing to say, but they're kind of having their first probably honest conversation of their relationship right now probably. on their wedding day. At least and, about the nature of their relationship. Yeah, it's something they really should have had a long damn time before, but at least they're having it now. And when he tells her, yes, it's bullshit, but I do love you, it yeah, it just pulls at every heartstring I have. Shib says she loves Tom too, kisses him, and then they get into it. Cut to a very film noir scene here. It's Kendall walking up to the caterer who Logan screamed at. Kendall asks what um, he has going on. Um, the kid tries to hide it, but then he says, um, I could I could smell it from a, a ways away. It smells like kind bud. Um, I think this is a this is a drug term, kind bud. It just means good marijuana. But by using it, I think it, it disarms the caterer. He knows, oh, yeah. well, this guy's into it too. Mm-hmm. Kendall mentions uh, what Logan did earlier, said his dad's a fucking bastard. He's not wrong about that. The caterer says it's all good. He got paid for his shift. Uh, his shift. He even got a little sweetener. And he says, it's kind of nice because now I can just go home. Hmm. Guy offers Kendall a hit of his kind bud. Kendall said, yeah, sure, but um, do you have a way of getting some powder? Ambiguous here. And the guy says, yes. Yeah, that, uh, this is something I don't know, but... But if you just say powder, is someone going to know what the hell you mean? Because you know, there seems like there's a lot of options one could say when you do that. I mean, you, I, I mean, I would say that you would people who do like hard drugs, probably nine out of ten would say coke. That'd be my my. That's what I would think he'd be going for, and I think it's what he's actually going for. But there's enough ambiguity that we lead to our next our next scene. Well, but you also have this is another country, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, in like Britain how they talk about coke. I, I'm not sure. So that mm-hmm. yeah, could be playing into it as well. I'm not sure. Cut to Tom coming back to the reception, and he asked Nate, who is actually engaging Connor in discussion about running for office. Yes, he is. Uh, <laughs> Again, he really means this, and he's starting to already do the legwork. Nate asks if he's running as a Democrat. Connor, don't box me in, Nate. The song that is playing, do you know the song that's playing? It's uh, Uptown Girl, isn't it? Uptown Girl. Billy and Joel. This is when Tom comes in to address Nate. Yeah. Do you want to get a little dramatic reading of the Uptown Girl lyrics? Uh, please, give it to me, sir. Uptown Girl. She's been living in her uptown world. I bet she never had a backstreet guy. I bet her mama never told her why. I'm going to mm-hmm. try for an Uptown Girl. She's been living in her white bread world. As long as anyone with hot blood can. And now she's looking for a downtown man. That's what I am. This I is, really believe that they purposely chose the songs that are playing during this reception. Oh, damn straight. And this is right now Tom's power song for this moment. Yep. And Tom, can I get in? Not really taking no for an answer. Uh, Nate wants no part of this conversation. And Tom says, hey, listen, I'm so sorry, but there seems to be a little mix up in your accommodation. I'm sorry, but there is no room for you to stay. Nate, okay, well, I'm, I'm sure I'll figure something out. Tom, right, right. But it'd be smart for you to leave directly. Nate is now picking up on what's happening here. Nate says, I get the message. I'm a grown-up. Shib is a grown-up. Again, with this grown-up shit. Yeah. He's got the Shib Roy talking points down. Mm-hmm. Tom carefully explains <laughs> that if he never sees Nate, in the, if he ever sees Nate in the same room again, he'll pay men to break Nate's legs. And if he goes to jail, which I won't, so be it. <laughs> Nate says, okay, I'll, I'll just finish this and, and be done. Tom says, oh, no, no, My parents made a contribution to the wine. And then, oh, shit, Spencer. Boss alpha move here. Tells Nate to pour the wine back in the bottle. Put it back, Nate. Put it back, Nate. Power move from Tom, unlike we've ever seen before. He makes him do it. <laughs> grabs a bottle that's being carried past and makes him do it in front of him. Power move. Did you catch that after he does this and Nate kind of walks off with his tail between his legs? Hmm. Greg gives Tom a knowing nod. 
Yeah, he does. And I like that Tom nods back. Just like, yeah, you had my I back on it. this. Yeah. You... Thank you. And mm-hmm. uh, I handled it. Yeah. Um, now, here's something else I want to point out. So Tom's mother, we established during the review of the prenup, is an established lawyer. I think he says in the Twin Cities. I think that's how Tom puts it. Mm-hmm. So she's not, they're not broke. I mean, they're not billionaires, but they're not broke. Now, Upper middle class, probably. Right. But we all we ever hear is they made a contribution to the wine. Not mm-hmm. that they paid for the wine. So this begs the question, if they couldn't even pay for the wine, how much do you think the wine cost at this event? I can't even imagine. Because I mean, A, how much wine do you think they had at this castle event with the Roy family in attendance? But then the quality of it? Yeah, I... This is one of the things where I don't get wedding prices, period, anyway, but I'm imagining this is a pretty astronomical figure on the wine right now. I would, I'd peg the over-under at $50,000 just for the wine. Probably, and I might go with the over on that. All right. Spencer, do you think we'll see Nate again? Uh, well, is he going to stay with Gil's campaign, given what he now knows? If yes, then maybe? Because I'm presuming Shiv's at least staying with the campaign for the short term, but I'm thinking that's going to be real short term. Because at this point, I think she's accomplished all she wanted to do. She's got two of the most powerful people in America beholden to her and her point of view. Uh, and I don't think she feels the need to actually carry this on through the rest of the event. So between those two, maybe first episode or second episode a little bit, but I don't think much more than that going forward. Because I just don't... Shiv is so flighty about these things that she hates to seem to like to commit to anything for the long term, as Tom is finding out right now. So I don't picture her staying with uh, Gil's campaign like to the White House and beyond. So yeah, my bet is that we, if we see Nate, it is brief and it is not for much more. Tom goes dancing, and the lyrics we hear is, "I'm in love with an uptown girl. You know, I've seen her in her uptown world. She's getting tired of her high class toys." And all her mm-hmm. presents from her uptown boys, she's got a choice. Very mm-hmm. appropriate song and very appropriate um, lyrics uh, coming to you on screen based on what's happening within the, the certain um, interactions with the characters. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, Tom's thinking that he's just had a Grand Slam victory here on all counts. That, you know, he's christened his relationship, he's had an ominous conversation with her, and he seems to think or at least deluding himself in this moment, that in some way they're on the same page. Which, I don't read it that way. Nope, me neither. Uh, cut to the caterer. He's in a car with Kendall doing a line of something. Kendall gets the powder, looks at it, and asks what it is. Kid says it's Ket, Special K. Now <laughs> He finally got it! He finally got the ketamine that he wanted! Yeah, Kend- I was going to shout this out. So in the, in the Tom's Bachelor Party, episode 8, um, uh Kendall's walking around asking for ketamine. He actually asks Greg, tasks Greg with getting him ketamine the entire night. He never gets it. He gets it now. Kendall says, uh, I'm just like, I'm like looking for a different vibe tonight. And what's interesting is now we have enough of a background to know that Kendall's actually telling the truth. This isn't him just rejecting ketamine. He's just saying, not tonight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he wants coke. And previously he was using the ketamine to kind of come down from the coke he was already doing, right? Yeah. I mean, ketamine is a big downer. I mean, as you see with the kid's reaction to it. And I think the reason that, that, uh, Kendall doesn't just take the cat and be done because mm-hmm. he knows he has to be available for all those calls with Sandy Furness. Yeah, like I mean, it was tomorrow. It's like two, four, and six, so he's got a day in front of him, and he needs to be in some way functional for that. Now, doing coke at like what eleven, twelve o'clock at night right now may be messing with up that that up uh, to a certain degree anyway. But 
probably a better fix than, uh, than, than what the ketamine would offer him. He would just probably go to sleep with the ketamine. The kid says he knows something. Uh, he knows someone uh, to get coke, but uh, he doesn't know if he should drive right away. Kendall offers to drive. Kid is fumbling about, which is par for the course with ketamine. He couldn't even barely get out of the car. Is uh, ketamine a tranquilizer? It is. It's uh, originally used as a tranquilizer for horses. <laughs> I love that we find new uses for these products. <laughs> yes, druggies are industrious. Mm. Um, the kid is kind of in and out of consciousness, and Kendall rolls the window down to try to get some fresh air, wake the kid up. Uh, Kendall is struggling with the stick shift, and the kid asks if he's used to an automatic. Kendall says, not really, but but I actually don't really drive um, because I'm incredibly rich and people drive me around everywhere. Uh, nice drug talk here. The kid asks if he should kidnap Kendall. Kendall says, yes, if you can fucking walk, you should kidnap me. <laughs> kid uh, asks how much longer it is to the kid's coke connection. Kid says he knows a house uh, he could keep him in. They're still laughing about this little line of commentary about him, you know, potentially kidnapping Kendall. Yeah. Kendall again struggles with the stick shift, looks up and a deer's in the road. The kid screams, look out, yanks the wheel, car goes off the side of a bridge into the water. Kendall gets out, goes back down multiple times, trying to get the kid out, but eventually comes to shore. Two things I want to talk about here and I'm going to let you go. Please. One, and Sarah got sick of me yelling this, run over the fucking deer. Yeah, yeah. Run over the damn deer. You avoided a deer just to go off the side of a bridge in your car. Like, run the fucking deer over, dude. No, it's, it's just one of those things of where your default response to the animal road is to, you know, turn the wheel, whatever else, but nine times out of ten, you're safer off hitting the deer. I mean, we've both been driving in rural North Carolina. This is just part of the training you do. That's it. Something in the road. Most of the time, if you try to swing that wheel, you're going off into someplace that's dangerous. Unless it's another car coming at you. Yeah. Hit the damn thing in the road and hit the damn deer. But another thing I'd like to point out is that the kid actually yanks the wheel. He does. This isn't Kendall. So Kendall is, I think, legally probably in the clear here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, leaving the scene of the crime without ah, calling no, the police is a different animal. Okay, now I want to kick it over to you, Spencer. Is this a good time to talk about Chappaquiddick? Uh, yeah, should we talk about Chappaquiddick to a certain degree? Because <laughs> this seems to have all the hallmarks of that. So obviously parallels to an incident that happened in the 60s, I think? It was 70s, way back maybe? there. Yeah, I'll pull it up while we're talking about it, but yeah. Yeah, and um, basically, uh, Ted Kennedy was holding a party for all the folks who had worked on his brother Robert Kennedy's uh, presidential campaign before Robert Kennedy was assassinated. 69, 69. 69, and uh, nice. Um, And you had, basically, everybody was getting really drunk, and Ted Kennedy got in a car. I think he was taking some girl home. Yeah, one of the campaign staffers. And somehow that car ended up in the water, Ted Kennedy out of it, and Mary Jo Kopechny, I think was her name. Man, um, damn, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, died in the back seat. There's a lot of different theories about what happened, but what no one can contest is that Ted Kennedy did exactly what Kendall does in this situation, which was go back to the party, change clothes, continue to party, and then get up and have breakfast in the morning as if nothing had happened. Right, and not report the incident to the police until like 12 hours later and after the body had already been discovered. So it's a it's a on-the-nose parallel with the Chappaquiddick incident. Some people like that, some people didn't. I am kind of ambivalent about it because to a point you have made on the podcast many times, they had to figure out a way to get Kindle in a neutralized position. And this yeah. is how they chose to do it. 
Yeah, and they've always been drawing parallels between who this family is in this show and who they rep- who they are tied to in the real world, and the Kennedy comparison has always been there. And so having it follow those lines makes a certain degree of sense. I was, you know, it shocked me, and I think it's effective. I think it may have gone too far in terms of the very direct comparisons, but it works. It is an effective plot point to get us where we need to be. I don't give this an A in writing, but I also don't give it an F. It's uh, maybe a B minus C plus for me. Yeah. In ter- What's the key thing to discuss here? Because I imagine this is going to be the main subject of the next season. But what is Kendall's guilt here in your mind? I think he feels pretty both, fucking guilty. Both legally and emotionally. Legally, he didn't cause this. He left the scene of the crime, didn't report it. That's its own issue in crime. But in terms of his actual literal like emotional guilt, he didn't cause this, but he clearly is wrapping him up inside that he was involved with it. Yeah, I think for Kendall, it all gets sort of together where he feels the guilt of like why didn't i just go to bed why did i need coke that night i could have mm-hmm. had the company also you know this kid's fucked up on ketamine and i'm he, he barely can talk and i'm trying to wheel him around the fucking you know backwoods of this british town to find coke also that he couldn't get the kid out of the car now i, I wouldn't beat up on him too much for that because i mean the kid was fucked up he probably wasn't in a position to actually be able to to swim and then, of course, fleeing the scene and all of that. So I, I think it all gets wrapped up into just this guilt about the overall thing as opposed mm-hmm. to any one particular action that Kendall took. No, I think that's a very accurate summary of it. And we see him. He did not He did not turn the wheel, and he made at least somewhat more than token efforts to try to get down and get the kid. Um, but, yeah, this, it, it is a wrapped up of very difficult things at a worst possible time for him because he knows that and I'm sure this thought's passing through his head. If any of this gets out, it all falls apart. Kendall walks back to the road. It's raining. He begins to run back to the wedding. Uh, not before figuring out he doesn't really have his room key. Mm-hmm. Um, he realizes car, that on the way. Every time a car goes by, Kendall hides. He ends up walking back to the wedding through a field. And during the process, sees fireworks going off. Here's Roman's fireworks that he wanted. Mm. Kendall gets back to his room, doesn't have his key. Oof. He breaks the window, gets in, starts to wash himself, wash himself off, then washes his clothes, which I thought was a smart move. Gets on some new clothes. Nice rich guy move here. Just multiple suits. Um, takes another key card, exhales, and leaves the room. And joins the wedding, as if nothing is wrong, and tries to make an effort to, you know, hey, you see me right now. You see me right now. You're making a note of where I am at this given time. <laughs> He's uh, purposely talking and glad-handing a lot of people in the room. Back to the reception, a little black-eyed Peas is playing. It's that song, and do it, and do it, and mm-hmm. do it, that one. Um, and Kendall walks in, and Caroline approaches him, and Kendall has one vote in this election. One, and it's Caroline. She says, I don't think any of the worse of you. <laughs> you know, thanks, Mom. I appreciate it. Um, but I think the, the, the Black Eyed Peas song in the back, and do it, and do it, and do it, it's Kendall, like, charging forward, even though it's probably a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, Caroline says, uh, or no, Kendall, Kendall likes that. Caroline pulls uh, what I think is her date and Kendall to the dance floor. Um, he checks in on Roman and gets dismissed. Roman's like, yeah, fuck you. Uh, he goes to Connor, who is talking to, in his words, two beautiful women. He, uh, he- even when Roman dismisses him, it seems almost like in good, in, in, in good humor. It's like, I, I don't picture Roman being a guy that can necessarily hold a grudge too long. But he's kind of like, eh, yeah, no, fuck you. And just, it's, not, it's not like he's investing any effort in telling him to fuck off. Yeah, no house words. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only imagine that Connor's talking to these fucking women about, like, I don't know, 
underground water pollution or the federal interest rate ma- manipulation or some weird horse shit. And Kendall says he's sorry. Where they were on 9-11. Where they were on 9-11. Nice callback. Connor takes it pretty well and says, okay. He doesn't forgive him, but he just says, okay. Yeah. And then Kendall's kids run up to him, song playing. Do you remember that song? Uh, no, I didn't write it down. What song was it? I want to dance with somebody who loves yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're being very on the nose with the symbolism here, but it works. Kendall then dances with Rava and his kids. Let's do a reading of I Want to Dance with Somebody. Please. I want to dance with somebody. I want to feel the heat with somebody. Yeah, I want to dance with somebody, with somebody who loves me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kendall just wants, just wants somebody to love. Yep. Uh, what is next? Cut to Kendall waking up. Clearly he is worried. I, I like this little moment. He checks his arm just to make sure the night wasn't a dream. And yeah, he still has the cut from when he broke into the hotel room. Uh, doesn't Tom at one point also shout out something like bad news about my hymen or something like that? Yeah, we get there. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, Kendall then turns on the local radio. I think what he's doing here is trying to see is that if they're like any news about what happened. Kendall gets into the breakfast room. This is the moment you say here. Great line. Tom to Kendall in the background. You can barely hear it. Bad news about my hymen. It's gone. <laughs> Good for my, you, Tom. Be happy. Tom, I'm going to be honest with you. I did these notes after having a couple drinks. And here's what my notes say after this. Please. All caps. LOL. Good one, Tom. You're fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to have a fun run in terms of who's the winner of this episode is. We've got options. Uh, Roman greets him. Morning, fuckface. Uh, Kendall goes to get some breakfast and Greg walks up. Kendall asks how he is, and Greg says he's pretty good, a little hungover, but good. Greg then mentions it's kind of a weird vibe with the service folks, like the hobbity people. <laughs> he says that, he does. There's like, I guess a caterer, a guy like got in a crash or was high or like, I don't know, nobody knows, but some bad shit went down. Hobbity people? Why? Does he literally mean little people? I'm not sure if he means little people or just uh, they're, pe- they're speaking to me with British accents, and the best thing I can tie that to is Lord of the Rings. I, I don't know what he's saying here. Hobbity people. Kendall then tries to uh, have a, a reaction, but he's struggling with it. And Kendall explains the family line is that they're not going to spoil anything. And of course, that's the fucking family line. Of course. Kendall asks if the caterer is okay. Greg, I, he's, I guess he died. Mm-hmm. Greg then shits on the scrambled eggs and Kendall is approached by Logan's body man. Yeah. And at this point, I mean, Logan, Kendall can see him coming from across the room to know and the moment he sees the body man walking towards him, he's like, okay, I'm watching death approach me. Because every plan I had, everything I ever hoped for is dying with this man. Kendall walks into a room with Logan, who is standing, drinking coffee, and Marsha and her son, Amir, who are sitting on the couch. Mm-hmm. Logan asks how Kendall's evening went. Uh, explains that he was up all night planning his defense, which I, I believe. Mm-hmm. Working those Spencer hours. Uh-huh. Informs Kendall that the caterer that... Uh, that Logan had an issue with the night before uh, had died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Logan, did you know? Kendall, I knew, uh, but, but, but because I just found out. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a shock. It's a shock. It, Kendall can barely even hide it at this point. Logan explains that one of our guys found a key card to Kendall's room near where the kid went into the water. One of our guys? Mm-hmm. That's what he says. And that that is a loaded statement. Logan then explains to Amir, um... Explains that Amir saw Kendall last night rather damp. So I guess when Kendall was making his his return back uh, to the wedding after having gone in the water. You think that's true? Yeah, I do. Mm. That kid seemed to be kind of lurking everywhere, man. 
it seemed almost like his role is, is that, yeah, he's officially going to be the head of the uh, European animation studio, but he's also going to be a certain degree of enforcer and just observer. Yeah, Marsha then says, they want you, Kendall, to check to make sure nothing was stolen from your room. Kendall doesn't get it. He says, I don't think so. And Marsha says, maybe you should check again. Logan, mm. this kid, I think, he was a thief. Broke into your room and stole your card. Beautiful yeah. story Logan has concocted on the fly right here. It makes perfect sense. I mean, there was obviously somebody broke into the room. Yeah. The kid was high. He was driving rapidly away. He was pissed because I fired him right there. And so he tried to get back at our family. And then, you know, he had an unfortunate incident. It's a very effective story that removes even the notion of guilt from any member of the family. I would have bought it. Yeah. Yeah. And Kendall comes to terms with it pretty quick about, okay, this is the story now. And when my dad tells me, let me handle this, I'm giving up agency of myself for the rest of my life. Uh, Logan goes to channel his inner Trump here. I know the guys. They know our guys. They're good guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, very rich person. The best guys. Uh, the best guys. The best. Perfect guys. Logan explains they tell the local police what was taken from Kendall's room. Then he tells Kendall this has been quite stressful and maybe he should go directly to the plane now. Yeah, we think we need you out of the country, you know, now-ish. Kendall says, I don't know, Logan. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be good. Yeah, Kendall's my- starting to break. Nobody did anything wrong, sounds like. And so Marsha and Amir get up and leave the room. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to talk about before I hit the final scene? No, it's just I knew that Kendall would lose. I, well, I assumed that. And it's just always painful to see how far he came with how hard he worked and then just watch it collapse before him. And that happens in this scene when Logan walks up, hulking over Kendall and says, tell Sandy you are out. Tell Stewie the thing looks like a shit show. Go to the desert. Dry yourself out. You've not been yourself. Kendall sputters out that he wasn't there. Logan, this could be the defining moment of your life. It eat everything. A rich kid kills a boy. You'd never be anything else. Well, you know... Could be what it should be. Sad little detail at a lovely wedding where father and son are reconciled. Kendall is now openly sobbing, gets up and hugs Logan. Logan, you're my boy. You're my number one boy. Oh. Logan calls in his body man and motions for him to take Kendall away. Theme music plays and this season and episode is over. Oh, I'm just excited to know where this leads because this just completely subverts everywhere the season was going before this moment because <laughs> if you're Kendall you're realizing this moment that you are in your dad's absolute power until he says that you aren't there's no way out anymore he owns you lock stock and barrel Just, yep <laughs> you are his serf you are his slave you are whatever he wants you to be for the rest of your life well <laughs> the rest of his life but probably also the rest of your life Yep, so that's the recap. Um, thoughts on the final episode and the season in general before we move on to segments and wrap up? I mean, I thought the symbolism was a bit on the nose at times, but I think it still worked. I think it was well-played symbolism, if it was, even if it was pretty obvious. I thought the Chappaquiddick thing was maybe a bit far, a bit too on the nose again, but it works as a plot point. But otherwise, the writing, the character interactions, the really interesting heartwarming or sad or tear-jerker moments were all really well done this episode. Particularly Tom. Tom was just an all-star this episode in terms of what he went through. Not always it, not always ending as positive as he thinks, but just how he weathered the, the feelings that he has are all really greatly played out. So I, I, I really like this episode. It was a tour de force. 
I loved it and I felt like it ended on a weirdly kind of a cliffhanger only because I just don't know how this is all going to shake out with uh, with Kendall. I have to so imagine. So I was really excited to see the start of episode or season two, which we will begin next week. Mm. But I loved it. I loved season one. I, as I told you, I was on this show early. Um, I think right now it's the best show on television. Mm-hmm. That's my hot take. Um, and I really liked it. I'm glad you did too. Yeah, it's. I'm so interested to where they go with this because the, the entire focus of this season has been Kendall getting away from his dad. Kendall trying to find his own position, find his own legs, plot what he's going to do with his life outside of his dad's influence and control. And all that's now gone and dead. And I... Do, I'm, I don't know where they're going to go with that now, but I'm excited to see it. I agree. Um, okay, let's get to our segments. Um, Spencer's relationship advice of the episode. I mean, I think just the main thing to say here, and we saw it clearly labeled out, that a relationship can only exist if you can have honest conversations with your partner in a way that Tom and Shiv clearly never did before this moment. And Shiv's even struggling with the concept of that when she's talking with him. You can just see how foreign it is to her in that moment when she's trying to express, like, even her feelings on love, that she has no pat response. She has no, like, it's like she clearly never even really thought that she ever had to talk about this. That she never had to be honest with Tom and legitimately tell him where she's at about the relationship. That she struggles with it. And that's just really sad. It's just... These two clearly have a history that has brought them together. Tom is clearly head over heels about her. But until they can have an honest conversation, or Shiv can just be honest with herself about what she actually feels or wants out of Tom, they have no hope. Tom seems to leave the scene with an idea that he's scored a victory, that they have a relationship now the way he's always hoped for. And if that's how he legitimately feels, he could not be more wrong. Shiv made the most token effort to try to meet him in the middle on this, but promised nothing. She in no way indicated that her views have changed. She's actually indicated where she stands on this, and I don't see her changing away from that. And so I don't see anything healthy about their relationship, and see if if anything, it's even more set up for pain going forward, because she either doesn't know what she wants or can't be honest about what she wants and just expects everyone to accommodate her at all times rather than view Tom as a equal partner in what they are. So, yeah, that's, that, that is my thoughts on that. Could we, could we maybe sum that up in um, if you want to fuck somebody else, you should say that first? Yeah, that should have been conversation like day one is that, Tom, thank you for helping me through all the shit that I went through, but... This is kind of what I want out of a relationship going forward. And if you're okay with that, we can make this work. But if you're not, okay, thank you again. God, you sound like you've had that conversation before. It's very, very crisp and clear. Again, you're going to write the book of what you assume <laughs> I've done, and I'm going to respond. We'll see how that goes. Well, let's move to Roman line of the episode. I think you, I, I think I've used up my quota of Roman impersonations this episode. So, uh, and I think you have a list. And if you go through a couple, then I'll award Roman line of the episode. I basically have two main ones because the first one is really long. Because I realized I wrote down like three separate lines of it, then I realized it's all part of the same damn scene. Um, one thing just to point out is that um, director writer of the show as well is a Game of Thrones alum, which I don't think we've mentioned before, but it's really awesome to see Mark Malone and everybody else from the, game, the HBO team brought together again on awesome material. But in terms of Roman lines of the episode, I'm going to go with the first one. Is it him? You don't want a rocket launch because of Senator Blah, whatever. Would it help if I were, would it help if it were full of Muslim granola? So I'll start with there. <laughs> 
And then, again, it's like three in the same scene, real quick. It's like, oh, I'm Shiv, I'm an adult, and I'm important because I work with a man with glasses. Is he a Jew, by the way? What? It's just a simple, friendly, slightly racist question. Option number two, again, these are all coming rapid fire. Three, oh, you used to be fun. When did you become like? When did you become one of them? Like the dancey bullshit. Can't say what. Can't say that kind of people. <laughs> Rowan's on fire for this initial scene with Shiv because again, he's intended this to be a gift. He's obviously thought in his head, of course, she's going to go along with it because fireworks are equal awesome. And now that that plan is falling apart before his eyes, all he can do is do his little spiel insults kind of things. That's all he can default to. So. Those three, and then my favorite one at the end is when he yells at it. Uh, I think it's either Tom or Greg. Hey, guess guess who didn't just ki- guess who didn't just kill anyone, but maybe only lost a couple thumbs? This guy with his thumbs up in the air. All good choices. So, <clears throat> episode ten. Nobody is ever missing. Is that the name of the title? Uh, hold on. Yep, nobody is ever missing. Yeah. Uh, episode ten finale of season one. Roman line of the episode for only the second time ever in Magnum Talks TV history. Roman line of the episode being awarded to not Roman, to Logan for you're my boy, you're my number one boy. Oh, God, that line hurts so much. It really does. It, it's it a defining mo. It's a defining line of the first season. It's a defining line of the first season, and it's all the more painful because one of the main things that set Kendall off in terms of joining up with Sandy Furness and joining up with Stewie was remembering this kind of dogs fighting each other style of raising that Logan was about. That let the two of them fight and the stronger one will survive. And he reject he fully was going into the camp of rejecting Logan because of his memory about that story. And then, or even somebody's embracing the label. And now, at the very end, as he's been broken down, we see it brought right back to him that you're my number one boy. Oh, that was painful to hear that set out. You're my boy. You're my number one boy. Um, but, I'm going to say that's that's probably line of the season. Um, yeah. Again, I had to had to award it to not Roman. That's a shame. Roman did get Roman line of the uh, of the episode. I think um, seven out of ten episodes. I don't think we we did that segment on the first one. No, we're still struggling with our, with our various panels at that point. But if we're doing other characters, Logan's great line about the hothouse flower is just evocative. That's just, just a wonderful description of another person. And Tom's line about losing his lime and had me laughing out to the point I had to pause the episode. Bad news about my hymen. That <laughs> <laughs> was funny. He's a funny guy. Okay, that's the first two segments. Now we go to Roy of the episode. This is the Roy that had the best episode. Um, I will award honorable mention first uh-huh. to... I think this is four weeks in a row. Greg gets honorable mention. Yeah. Greg um, deserves because it. he establishes, okay, if this if this takeover works, or hey, even if it doesn't, but in the future at some point, Kendall, you control the company. A little nugget here for you. You're gonna wanna you wanna wet the beak of old Greg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just been amazing to see how far Greg has come with this. I would have not anticipated any aspect of this from him throwing up outside the eyes of his, you know carnival mascot character when we first saw him but not a good first episode for greg <laughs> he's found his legs and really yep. the sky's the limit with this guy yep greg right. gets honorable mention roy of the episode i don't think it's a surprise to anybody anywhere yourself included roy of the episode is logan roy god damn yeah he wins everything here he yep. went from the lowest possible moment he could have what he legitimately thought he was going to lose to reassured that his <laughs> not only is he going to win this, but his son is fully back in his camp in any way that he wants him to be. Yeah. And it's not like when he beat back the, you know, the, the, um, vote of no confidence because he still had this, you know, 
unsure sort of wild actor out there mm-hmm. in Kendall. Now he's neutered Kendall. Now he has something over Kendall. Uh, he's neutralized that threat. So yeah, Logan, yeah. I think was a big winner here. He goes into season two fully in control um, of, of the company and in control over Kendall. Yeah. And he also now knows his enemies have played their cards. He knows that Sandy Furness is now involved with the company. He knows who Stewie is beholden to. A lot of the a lot of the advantages they had was that information being kept secret. Now it's out there, and now he can work to counter it. Now he can work to dilute it. He can do anything he wants to about it because he has the information. So, this is Logan at his most powerful moment since episode one. Yep. Okay. Well, I think we have wrapped up episode ten and wrapped up season one of Succession. We will move on. We will soldier on to season two, episode one of Succession next week. Spencer, anything else you want to say as we wrap up season one? Just want to say thanks again, man, for recommending the show to me. I was kind of impressed how much it was flying under the radar for not just me, but for a lot of people. But I'm glad you recommended it. I'm glad it's starting to really get the press. It seems like it has become the kind of the critical darling over the course of the second season. It has. And, and, and I'll tell you, spoiling no plot, but season two is really fun. I look forward to reviewing it with you. We got a plan. All right. Sounds good. This is Mangum Talks TV. We release these every Sunday. Thanks for listening, folks. See you.